So recently we've seen movement in the political landscape and tension building around the energy security and permits around extraction of fossil fuel, which again led to political turmoil. Uh, why is all this happening? And does this mean anything for the net zero laws and regulations that are in place, which we are seeing being under threat in yes. not just recent yes. months, but recent years? And we see the situation not improving in any way. What's the situation at the moment of the transition to net zero or are all the plans up in the air at the moment? What, what is happening? What's the situation? Currently, 27 countries worldwide have laws promising net zero. And what this means is that they have some high-level carbon budget within which they will need to up their economy. By drilling and extracting any more fossil fuel, you will exceed that budget. It's as simple as that. So example over here is the UK, where mm -hmm. net zero commitments were made. I think UK was the first country to put net zero into law. And with that in place, we have a situation wherein because of the geopolitical tensions that are ongoing, the war in Ukraine, which has taken much, much longer and is still not seeing any end in sight. And you have, on the other side, you also have the conflict in Israel, Gaza, the conflict that is going on, threatening supply chains, threatening energy security. So with any geopolitical tension, the first thing that countries look at is energy security. And the reason for that is right. energy drives the economic activities, right? And to give an example here, the uh, oil is traded against the dollar and the dollar is tradable against all major currencies. So if oil price goes up or down, you will see a movement in literally every currency in the world, every major currency in the world. And every large economy, large companies take the price of oil into consideration when they are budgeting. Whether they are using oil directly or they use any oil derivative in order to, to balance their need, etc. They consider essentially the price of oil in terms of and obviously also to look at electricity and electricity comes from fossil fuel based sources in many countries. And today, if you look at the world's largest economies, you still have at least 50 to 60 percent dependence on fossil fuel in order to produce electricity. And we are on an electrification spree. What essentially the amount of electricity that we have used amount of power that we have used has gone higher and higher with every year. So per capita usage of electricity is definitely increasing. And thereby, we will definitely need more electricity to be produced. And for that, we need to burn more fossil fuel. That's the narrative 
that is ongoing. And when such kind of situations come up, typically policymakers tend to look at the easiest solution that you can take. And for that, an established solution like exploring for for more oil seems to be the answer. But when you do that, you directly go and break that commitment that you've made to your electorate, to your citizens, saying that we will go net zero by 2050. You will not go net zero by 2050 if you're exploring for even one more trope of oil. It's as simple as that. You will have to reduce consumption of fossil fuel. <clears throat> you will need to transition from fossil fuel every economic activity. And only then we can look at a situation which is closer to net zero. You cannot be net zero by drilling for more oil. You cannot be net zero by extracting more oil from this planet. That's, it's very simple. It's just not possible. And emotions ran very high. And uh, a very reputable member of parliament resigned. And uh, there's a by-election, which essentially adds a little bit more pressure to our prime minister at this particular stage with a number of by-elections that the party had to face. And each and every by-election, to be honest, it's almost like a vote of confidence on the party, on the cabinet, on the prime minister himself, right? Similar situations are taking place in every large country. We know about the UK and this news is coming out in the open and we're talking about it. In the US, there have been several fossil fuel deals which have been signed. Even when there is a climate-related act, there is an Inflation Reduction Act, there are tax credits for any green activity, all that is there, but still there is more fossil fuel being extracted. Similar situation in Europe, similar situation in India. Every every large country that you can think of has got this issue. This is visible. It's just, we, this is under everyone's nose. If we look at the US increasing the, becoming the world's first oil producer in recent years, like they are extracting more oil that, than Aramco. And, yeah. and this is a sign of, even like of, Someone is pressing the emergency button there. That's a moment when we need to put everything aside, all sorts of plans, uh, good intentions, because there is an even bigger threat to the face, which is basically the geopolitical turmoil or situation, world situation where we are in, where the US needs to uh, keep China quiet on one side, but also keep Europe safe on the other side. And that is obviously a very expensive place to be, let's say. And they cannot drop attention on any of those fronts. Otherwise, the world as we know it could be, we, will, we could wake up to a very different world. So it feels like this is a very uh, tricky situation to be in as well. Yes, yes. It is a very tricky situation. And I would always say that a bipolar world was actually more safer. At least we knew mm -hmm. who was on the other side of the fence, right? Today, the issue is... You've got multiple parties on the table and there are multiple motivations. And you've got this whole idea of globalization, which can literally fall apart because of 
commitments to net zero. Mm. You can't be net zero with the current globalized world. It's as simple as that. The current globalized world will never be net zero. There will be a reduction in the amount of globalization that is really possible. You will need to move stuff closer to home. Our supply chains will need to be a little bit simpler. At least I can say a lot simpler. And only then can you really think of net zero, right? And again, for your question, I would say this is more to do with how the oil lobby has positioned itself as being able to meet a demand. Mm. So let me rephrase this. The oil lobby has always said that we are producing more because you need more. So who is at fault here? It's you and me. Who is driving around in a petrol car, who is sitting in front of a laptop that is made out of plastic, who is using natural gas to heat this house in sub-zero temperatures that we have right now. It is my fault. That is how they position themselves. And another important aspect to also look at is having looked at a large oil company, large state oil company, I can say, without naming the country or or the actual company itself, looking at their contracts with various governments and the way in which they conduct business, they sign what are called, I can almost say these are like exclusivity agreements, meaning that if something should happen and your policy changes, we can't take our offshore rig mm-hmm. and go away. We can't decommission the plant because your policy has changed. Mm-hmm. We cannot reduce production based on a policy that you have. These are all written into contract. These are all clauses, covenants, in contracts that oil companies sign with countries like the UK, like the US, etc. Very large countries fall into this trap. And the reason for that mm. is it's not that the politicians don't know about it. They know very well, but you don't have a choice. Because currently, if you have to survive only on renewables, it is not going to come in at a point where you can sustain and you can grow the economy really fast. And today, with a recession looming around the corner, I'm sure every country is looking at it very closely. And, and they look at oil as an option. And it is an option. But one of the things that, that I also want to highlight is a private company extracting oil and you license it within your shores, it doesn't mean that this production actually belongs to you. They only sign exploration, drilling contracts with you. They only take your license. If you need that oil, you got to buy it from them, which means that you're going to pay for it. You might have some preferential uh, rates and whatever, That is always there, but you still need to pay for it. Very senior politicians in a number of countries have said, 
yeah, we are doing this because my country needs energy and this is what we are doing for this. Unfortunately, you're giving away a lot of the economic potential that you had in your hands. You're basically giving it away to a private company in order to take that and run it the way they want. That is the reality here. But is there a solution? Is there a way to come out of this? Is there a way to execute a proper transition? Yes, the answer is there. The 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 picture doesn't look that positive, to be honest. Again, like it seems like there is a lot at stake. First of all, a lot, which is basically society as we know it, um, just based on. The Western world as we know it, the society based on liberalism is under threat because of that. This is as this the issue is this big. The repercussions of not uh, energy security is this big. It can literally change people's life and how they act within the society. And and again, it feels like you know how to make ends meet in a way. So do you see what is the solution that you see from from this point onwards? Is there any solution? I think the solution is basically to transition away from fossil fuel, and that transition needs to happen in an incremental way, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody is asking you to let go of all fossil fuel based energy tomorrow morning. Nobody is asking you to do that, but an incremental transition away from fossil fuel is always possible. And that has to come in from an industrial policy. It has to come in from pricing, preferential pricing for various sustainable materials, preferential pricing for sustainable fuels. These are policy measures that various governments, policy makers would need to do. And that is yeah. something that is that is not excusable. And this is something that, that your electorate requires, your people require. And if you signed a net zero law with the people in mind, you better meet. And you cannot meet it by drilling for more oil, right? I would say put a pause on any more exploration, Put a pause on any more licensing. Draw a line in the sand as of today. We will not go with any more fossil fuel from this day onwards. Any projects that we have already licensed, you can't go and recall it. Let's go with that. But today onwards, there will be no more fossil fuel licensing. But then what we need to do is look at incremental transition. And that has to be a step-by-step, it has to be lockstep with economic growth. It cannot be a side project, an impact project that somebody does and there are like some results out of it and there is some grant program at the corner or there is some small tax credit scheme at the corner. No, you can't do that. These policy measures need to come all the way from the top to the bottom. And when I say top to the bottom, let me give an example here. When you look at stimulating growth in a particular area, 
the UK has an industrial decarbonization fund. Some, I think, 170 million or something is the industrial decarbonization fund that was announced for various industrial clusters, various high carbon businesses to apply for this grant and use that for various pilot projects that they want to do. This is just one part of the story. But this needs to be supplemented by tax cuts that are available for businesses that use renewable power, businesses that that do real decarbonization. Secondly, what also needs to needs to happen is this is this is basically top level. And then you need you need stuff in the mid layer and you need stuff in the in the lower rungs as well. In the mid layer, you need policy that mandates that all government procurement has to be focused on having suppliers that meet a net zero goal. Every supplier to Mm. every government that has a net zero law, all those 27 countries that have a net zero law must have a law that states that we will only buy if my supplier has net zero targets in place and they are making credible transition plans. Only then we will buy from them. You will only do business with suppliers that are genuinely working on decarbonization. And again, I'm not saying they have to be net zero already. If you're going net zero, they must also be going net zero by 2050. They have to be pretty much lockstep. That is largely, I would say, the mid-layer. And again, in the mid-layer, you also need policies that will enforce these decisions onto large. And how to do that is basically to have uh, disclosures in place where companies disclose about their supply chain. So who are they doing business with? Mm -hmm. Are we doing business only with companies that have credible transition plans targeted again towards 2050, and they are making credible progress. So is every large corporate having disclosures in place? Is every large corporate have a credible transition plan? And every large corporate is enforcing that onto their supply chain. That is how we can can essentially work this out. Then at the bottom layer, you need incentives Mm -hmm. for the consumers in order to buy any product that is sustainable, they will need an incentive. You cannot come in and say, hey, look, there are two products on this shelf. This one is 10 pounds and this one is sustainable and it is 12 pound 50. No, sorry, that's not possible. As a government, as a policy maker, what needs to happen is that needs to be, just like the UK put in what is called as the, the sugar tax. So any product that contains sugar over and above a certain limit uh, will be taxed extra, right? There's basically a baseline tax and on top of it, you've got a sugar tax. Thereby, what you're communicating to the market is that, hey, look, if you're buying a product that is excess in sugar, you've got to pay more for it. Do the same thing with every single product. Yep. 
reduce sales tax for reduce sales tax, reduce GST, VAT, whatever name you want to call it. In the UK, we call it VAT. In India, we call it GST, right? In the US, there are sales taxes in every state. Reduce sales taxes for companies that have credible transition plans. Reduce sales taxes for products that are sustainable. If you have all three layers in place, there is no room to escape, right? And this energy security question will also start falling in place because your entire economy is oriented towards net zero and the entire economy is moving pretty much lockstep with you because as the policymaker, you said 2050 net zero. Now, what you're going to do is every large corporate, all of the, all of the procurement that you do is going to be net zero by 2050. And all of the products that are oriented towards net zero, you have an incentive in order for the consumer to go and buy that. With that kind of a model, then you will start seeing emissions fall drastically. You will start seeing the demand for fossil fuels go down drastically. And at that point, the oil lobby can't come in and tell us, ah, we are producing more because you're asking for more. Sorry, we are not asking for more. We just need our product to be sustainable and we need companies to have this you know, credible transition plan. Hey, look, that is what we need. We don't need your oil specifically. Your oil is essentially an intermediary in between in order to power this and make this happen. If I can find another source of energy which can pretty much do this job, I will use it. Yeah? There is there is one thing that, one question that comes to mind to this point, though, if I can just throw a, like a, a cool ball. Mm-hmm. So at Considering like the higher the higher level of like, uh, just the, in terms of like international, I'd say like world economy. If you consider the world economy, I would say like between now and twenty fifty, there will be countries that instead will probably not have a, a the same approach, but they would just not care. They will just uh, keep producing oil and keep burning fossil fuel. And we talk about economies like that probably would would not have that open of a relation with us at some point, like I'm talking about maybe the Russia or the China, the situation, and anyone that would fall into that under the sphere of influence. What if they would just keep going the same way? Is that, would that pose a, like a threat to this process at all? Or would it be enough if we do our due diligence and that's it? Like, how do you see that on the world stage? I think the key here is... Basically, that policymakers need to meet the aspirations of their electorate, of their Mm. citizens. If your citizens are telling you that I need sustainable products, you got to do that. We don't have rulers here. This is a democracy. And the developed world is largely a democracy, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. With that, the office bearers, the heads of state that we have are essentially working for us. And we as voters have told them, given them a direction, I like your manifesto, I vote for you. You got to do that. That's the core behind this. So if you're looking at the UK and large segment of the, of the customers, 
are suffering from a cost of living crisis and many services many products have raised prices in this kind of a situation and we also saw when everybody was struggling we also saw that oil prices were going up so there are demands to essentially keep prices in check and this is something that has basically crossed the policy channels quite a few times with inflation raging here in the uk and also in in various other various other developed economies inflation going up etc is it possible for you to make those decisions is it possible for you to make those decisions and hmm. maybe cut down transition away from fossil fuel can you essentially put that as a policy in place and i would say the answer is yes why do i say the answer is yes you work for your people you work for your people it's your citizens that you need to be worried about it's their jobs it's their incomes it is their cost of living that you need to be worried about right if this means that you ask them to buy stuff that is made locally go ahead and do that incentivize this see we live in democracy and this means that any central planning really is only data collection there's no central planning here it's not a communist state where right. central planning is done because we use capitalism this is decentralized decision making so in this case there's the markets that kind of dictate what happens to end consumers money so if it is going to be the case that you have energy supplier who is 100% renewable and is able to offer you a tariff that is lower than everybody else so if you have products that are made in a sustainable way and contain lesser and lesser among the fossil fuel based products it's very difficult to do at this particular point of time but if companies are showing that commitment i'm sure customers would prefer that and again it has to be incentivized the right way yeah so short answer to that what anybody else does you've got your rights um as a country you've got your rights to work for your people in order to make policies for your people to make policies that are right uh, for your citizens without any i can say consideration to what somebody else would do right again mm. i can say i can probably give examples of these uh take the case of when everybody led to this energy security kind of a situation what europe did essentially was basically to buy russian gas they are essentially saying that in order to heat the homes in my country i still need that gas whether you fight that war in ukraine or not i still need i still need to build that pipeline i still need to do this similar case if you basically look at what what the us has done why did they expand fossil fuel production why are they 
the number one oil producer, the largest oil producer. Why are they doing that? It is for their own country. They are making those decisions for their population. Mm. Right? Whether that is right or wrong, that's a different story. We discussed that and we said, yeah, whether this is right, this is the right direction to go, etc., etc. We discussed that. But they have that independence to make that decision. Without prejudice to anything that another country might do. I guess this ties back to what you were saying in the beginning, which is about transition needs to happen, but needs to be gradual. Yes. So that you basically don't go and sh- shoot your foot in doing that in the process. So, so yeah, I guess probably, again, like we're in a situation where um, we need to cut the usage of oil, but that's not something that can happen just suddenly, probably. But we will need to, again, like work on a transition plan that would take that into account the need of energy that the nation, a nation could have. But surely... I steadily move towards the objective of eventually in the future going net zero. I guess that's probably what wraps it all up. Because again, we will still need energy and we'll need to stay competitive on the world stage no matter what. Yes. But again, like this calls for a transition needs to be, surely needs to happen, but needs to be gradual. And this is probably ties back to something that we mentioned in other episodes as well, which is this is why we, we can't just go and destroy all companies, but we need to help them in the process, basically. Like, that would be probably a more sustainable way to approach a more sustainable transition plan. Just feels like a lot of things need to come in place and kind of square up to make all this happen. So we really need experts looking at the specific cases of specific companies in the context of the, the economies of the countries they're in. So I would say, like, having said all this, what should the focus go first to start this process? And also what can Helix do in order to facilitate that? I think the base, the core of all this is credibility, having credible transition plans. Hmm. And that needs to happen urgently. And it needs to be mandated. It needs to have a lot of support from the executive levels, from policymakers, and from company leadership, right? In order to have credible transition plans, enforce credible transition plans on our supply chain, make sure that all the government procurement is based on, is targeted essentially targeted procurement takes place and we only buy from companies that have credible transition plans. This is something that is underlying all of this. Without having credible transition plans, credible corporate transition plans, none of this is going to happen. You can add any more disclosures. You can add any more accounting. You can have many more laws in place, but uh, the core of all this is meeting that net zero target. And for that, we need to have credible transition plans in place. As a country, as part of government procurement, as part of corporate transition planning, 
as part of the supply chain everywhere. This is a core requirement. And without that, none of this would really be possible. Helix plays a part in this and we have a platform that can help companies plan, monitor, and execute a credible corporate transition plan. And you can create your own net zero action network. And this net zero action network on the platform means that you connect with your investors, connect with your suppliers, connect with various channel partners, distributors, etc. Bring them onto the platform and make sure that all of you are in lockstep motion towards that net zero 2050 goal. So if you are planning a change of raw material, you can use the platform to, to plan this, execute it along with your suppliers, collect the data, make sure that all of the data that, that you're getting from your vendors is credible. You can request for third-party certification on the, on the platform. And if there is a need to implement any large-scale capital-intensive intervention as a project, our project finance module will be able to take you through this process, uh, spread the cash flows, and identify the right funding options. And we can help take this to investors. So all of that that you need in order to have a credible corporate transition plan, visit helix.earth. That's our website. There you go. We can help you through this process. That's definitely food for thoughts. Thank you for your insights, Somi. And thank you, everyone, for listening along. See you all in the next episode.